God, we give you this uh, time together and just ask that your Holy Spirit will move among us and in us. May you transform us, Lord. Turn us into the people that you call us to be. In the name of the Christ, we pray, amen. You may have a seat. The teaching team was meeting uh, in our family room this last week, and we were talking about the, the season of Lent. And we started going around the room and talking about our backgrounds and talking about our experiences, our personal experiences with Lent. Here's, uh, going around the room, we had people who were, we had one person that was raised right here at Third Reformed Church. We had somebody else that is also from the Reformed tradition. We had somebody from the Catholic tradition. We had uh, someone from the Nazarene Pentecostal tradition. We had a Baptist, a Methodist, and a Lutheran. Is that not a picture of the body of Christ right there? Yeah, it's awesome. And this is our teaching team. So one of the things that we recognized as we went around the room is that we have people who was, were raised with Lent, and this is a very special time that harkens back to their childhood. We have people that were raised with Lent, and it became such a legalistic, religious thing that they're just like, they've lost kind of, it just became tradition that lost its meaning. We had people who have never celebrated Lent until the last few years, and for them it's new and different and challenging. We even had a member of the teaching team who said, you know what, I was raised that it was wrong to celebrate Lent, and I'm still struggling with it. So I want to recognize this morning as we enter the Lenten season that even in this room, we have a lot of diverse experiences and backgrounds, and that's okay. In fact, I'd like to spend just a little bit of time in our neighborhood groups here. If you've never been with us here at 3rd, we like to once in a while just uh, talk amongst ourselves. So get together with a group of three, four, five, six people around you. And I'd like you to just take a minute here and share a little bit about your background, uh, if you have any experiences with Lent, and kind of what you kind of your attitude coming into the Lenten season. And again, maybe you have no, you're like, I don't even know what Lent is. That's cool too, all right? So let's go ahead and do that. If you're an introvert, I love you. Just sit there and imagine what you would be saying if you were an extrovert, all right? <laughs> go ahead, go. All right, let's bring it in. Give you a second if you need to move your chairs back to turn around. Get yourself back in place. All right. Just by a show of hands, how many uh, uh, of you in your groups heard at least some uh, uh, feelings of curiosity and kind of maybe uh, just not knowing what this is all about, but kind of curious? Raise hands. All right, we got a lot of that. Uh, how many heard in your groups some excitement and uh, looking forward to the season. He's got a few, yep, okay, all right, good, good. How many uh, did we hear that were kind of the, you know what, I'm not sure about this whole thing and I had, did it as a child and it became kind of a dead tradition to me. Feel few of those hands, good. See them all around. This morning as we enter into Lent, I would like to 
just kind of break it down a little bit and introduce and explain things, maybe in a way that you haven't thought of it before, and invite you in no matter where you are in relationship to understanding it and experiencing it and practicing it. Number one, this is really a continuation of where we were last week. And if you have, how many of you are double dippers that you go, you listen or go to both services? Yeah, we got a lot of those. All right, so if you haven't, if you regularly come to the auditorium, you haven't heard Kevin's message from last week, I encourage you to go out, listen to the podcast or watch it on YouTube. Uh, because there was a real synergy between the two messages last week. And we talked about here in the auditorium that any appetite, human appetite, can be profaned either by giving license to it and indulging in it or going the path of legalism and trying to pretend that it's bad and suppressing it. And it happens in both. And we thought about Jesus and his time in the desert and his time of temptation and that self-control, the fruit of self-control, was the ability to pursue the important rather than the impulsive and uncontrolled. In the sanctuary, Kevin really pushed in to the amount of time we are diverted in our thoughts simply with our cell phones. He talked about the fact that some research shows that individuals are as addicted to their phones as a heroin addict is addicted to their needle. And the amount of time that is spent in diversion of the entertainment and the information can be a distraction from what God calls us to. And so Kevin has committed, he said in his message, he tracks on his iPhone how much time he spends on his phone. You can do that. There's a setting in the newer iPhones. And he's pledged to spend an hour in Scripture for every hour he spends on his phone. And that was kind of his personal uh, you know, feelings about self-control. Well, interesting now that we're walking into the season of Lent. Because the season of Lent is also uh, associated with self-denial and self-control giving things up, denying yourself, is kind of the background. But I want to begin with this, and hear me. You cannot follow Jesus without making a turn. Let me say it again. You cannot follow Jesus without making a turn. The word repentance means to turn and go in the opposite direction. So when Jesus says, repent and believe, repent and be baptized, he's saying, turn and follow me in a different direction. When Jesus was there with Peter and the, the boys on the shores of Galilee, he said, from now on, you're going to be fishers of men. In other words, you're going to make a turn and follow me. When he went to Ma uh, Matthew's tax collection booth, Matthew 9, 9, he said, Matthew, follow me. And it says that Matthew left his tax collection booth and he never went back. There is a turn. Now, here's the thing. You can read about Jesus 
and not make a turn. You can even make a mental assent to believing that Jesus is who he said he was and not make a turn. You can come to church and go through the, go through the act of worshiping Jesus and never really make a turn in your life. You can sing just as I am and stay just as you are. But you cannot follow Jesus without making a turn. And that is really what Lent is all about. Let's, uh, first slide, if we could, please. So Lent is following Jesus on a sojourn and a journey. Now a sojourn, what's the difference between a sojourn and a journey? A sojourn is a temporary stay. When you go on vacation, you're on a sojourn. You're gonna be there for a week or two weeks and then you're gonna come home, that's a sojourn. A journey is where you go and you keep going and you keep progressing. So for Jesus, the sojourn was turning away from the everyday normal to spend 40 days in the desert, in the wilderness. This was at the start of his ministry and it's Matthew 4, we talked about this last week. And for that 40 days, that sojourn, the turn away from all the things that are normal in, in his life, from being with his friends, from his job, from his, all the things that you do day to day, for 40 days, he spent time in solitude, reflection, introspection, thinking inside, denial, he didn't eat anything for 40 days. He denied his appetites and he was tempted like we saw last week. The sojourn informed, prepared, empowered, and ultimately launched him, because this is the beginning of his ministry. He hasn't even done, he's just been baptized, hasn't done anything yet. So the sojourn launched him into his journey which was his ministry, his purpose. So let's go to the next slide here, the journey. We got there? Next one. There we go. There we go. The journey is the resolute turning towards Jerusalem. And in Luke 9.51, it says that from that time forward, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He made the turn to Jerusalem, and that turn to Jerusalem meant that he was going to Jerusalem to be betrayed, tried, tortured, killed. And that was his purpose. So the sojourn launched him into the journey, and in the season of Lent, we follow Jesus in both. Okay, So the journey, the resolute turning towards Jerusalem was Jesus' conscious progress through tempting diversions towards and filling of his mission and the dark destiny of his betrayal, suffering, rejection, humiliation, separation, and death. Okay, now let's go to the next slide. I want to, got this uh, chart we put together. Uh, if you need to, if you don't feel like writing this down on your note taker, feel free to use your phone, take a picture of it. That's fine. But I want you to see this. So we, on the left, we have the sojourn. On the right, we have the, the mission, the journey, okay? 
So the sojourn is about the desert, being out in the wilderness alone. The journey is about Jerusalem and progressing towards where he's going. The desert was about preparation, preparing his heart, mind, soul, life for what he was going to do. The mission was fulfillment of his purpose. Now here's the thing. I want to stop right there. God has a purpose for your life. And I want you to hear that. There's so many of us that we come to church and it's kind of this religious duty that we do, but we really feel like our purpose, either our life has no purpose or our purpose is just to do what we do. If you are a follower of Christ, this is what we have been trying to preach and teach for the last several years. Every one of you who is a follower of Christ is a minister of the gospel of Christ. Every one of us who is a follower of Christ and a part of his body is spiritually gifted and called to use those gifts for God's glory. How? By loving. What the fruits of the Spirit we talking about? through being kind and gentle and patient, by being Jesus to the people at your work and the people in your neighborhood and the people in your community group and the people that you come into contact every day, that your life, your purpose is to be Jesus to the world around us. And I believe that God has a very specific purpose for every one of us. There's a calling. There's things that he has for us to do. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to leave our current life, and I mean, our occupation and everything, it's going to transfer, but it, it may be turning from just kind of the meaningless stuff I do with my life and investing in the spiritual things, the purpose that God has for me, okay? There is purpose, right? So in the season of Lent, we both, we, we go to, with Jesus on the sojourn, preparing ourselves, and to be launched in the purpose that God has for us as well, okay? Now, in the sojourn, Jesus denied his appetite, okay? In the journey, he had to be determined in continuing on his journey and his purpose through the same temptations. We often think, well, he was tempted in Matthew 4, and then being Jesus, he was never tempted again. It was one and done. Come on. He was human as all of us were human. How many of you have you know, resisted temptation once and it never comes back again? Come on. The temptations continued to come and I want us to see this, all right? Last week we talked about the lust of the, of the flesh. He was hungry and Satan said, turn these bread, these stones into bread and feed yourself. And Jesus said, it is written, you won't live by... Bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now, I want you to go to John, the sixth chapter, okay? John, the sixth chapter. If you've got your Bibles with you, if you don't have a Bible, there's some in the back there. You can grab one if you want. Feel free to just get up and grab one. In John, the sixth chapter, Jesus feeds 5,000 people with a few loaves and fish, puts it in baskets, blesses it, and it just multiplies. And the more people reach into the basket for the, for the fish sandwich, the more fish sandwiches just keep coming out until not only was everybody in the 5,000 fed, but they had leftovers. 
And then what happened was, imagine how popular that would be. I mean, food was not plentiful in those days. People were, a lot of people weren't sure where their next meal was going to come from. So they began following Jesus. Now Jesus, after he commits this miracle, he goes off to a mountainside by himself to pray. He gets away from the crowd. They come back to him. He crosses the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and the whole crowd comes around to find him again. And we're going to pick up the story here in verse 20, or 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus, where did you go? We've been looking everywhere for you. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on food that endures to eternal life that the Son of Man will give you but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is the same temptation. And Jesus now is walking with this temptation with all these crowds of people. And he could have continued the welfare program. He could have. Could have kept feeding them. But he said, no, 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 you don't get it. The, the, the miracle is not about your stomach. The miracle is trying to get you to understand that if you believe in me and if you follow me, you don't have to. God is going to provide you with everything that you need. So they go on. Well, what must we do to the work that God requires? Verse 28. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe the one he sent. So they asked him, well, what kind of sign will you give, give us so that we can believe in you? You know, you could... You know, some more fish sandwiches, some lasagna, I don't know, make, you know, show us a sign. In other words, we're still not getting it. We still want the welfare program. We still want the food. Jesus says to them, 32, very truly I say to you, it is, if, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Give us this bread! Jesus declared, I, you guys, I am the bread. Do you get it? <laughs> this isn't about loaves and fish. This is about me. This is about spiritual sustenance. Skip down, if you will. They start grumbling because they know he's not going to give them food anymore. Verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for this world. He's continually focused on the, the journey. Where am I going in this? Is to give my body so that you can have eternal life. They're still focused on their appetites. The Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us flesh to eat? And Jesus said to him, very truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So even as he's going through his ministry, there's still this temptation to be focused on the appetites and not on what God has for them. The lust of the eyes. Satan said, here are all the kingdoms of the world. It's all yours. 
I'll be yours if you want it. Right as we're in uh, John 6 there, go back to verse 15. Jesus, knowing that they, the crowd, everyone that's following him for the fish sandwiches, intended to come and make him king by force. So the crowd was going to make him king. He could have been king. He could have let them put him on their shoulders and carry him to Jerusalem and say, yay, here's the Messiah, here's the king. He could have the palace. He could have it all. He could have the adoration of the crowd. He could, he could have all the likes in the world. He could be trending on Twitter. That's the same temptation. But what does he do? He went off to a mountainside to be alone. And then he crossed the Sea of Galilee and left the crowd behind. Same temptation, but Jesus has already been informed by the sojourn. So now that he's in his journey, he recognizes this for what it is and he is able now to resist the temptation again. The sojourn informed the journey. How about the pride of life? Luke 23, if you got, uh, go to Luke 23rd chapter. And we're going to go to verses 8 through 12. By the way, uh, yeah, let me go there. All right, 8 through 12. Jesus is now in trial before Herod, King Herod. Now Herod, if you go back to Luke 9, 9, it said that Herod, King Herod, had already been trying to see Jesus because he's been hearing about the miracles, the blows and the fish and the healings and all these things. And Herod wants to meet this guy. And he wants to see a miracle. Now Jesus is standing before Herod. And keep in mind this. King Herod is the one who killed John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist was Jesus' friend. John the Baptist is the one whom Jesus said, no one is greater than John the Baptist. And Herod had John killed. So now Jesus is standing before Herod. He is the murderer of Jesus' friend and cousin. This is a moment of could-be vengeance. This is a moment of could be, I'm going to put this evil man in his place. And Herod, it says, verse 8, saw Jesus. He was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him. From what he'd heard about him, he had hoped to see him perform some kind of a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. This is a moment when Jesus could have proven himself. He could have taken vengeance for his cousin. Jesus could have put Herod in his place. But that's not the purpose. Hey, throw yourself off, prove who you are. Once again, he finds himself in a prove who you are moment. And instead he says nothing. Once again, the sojourn had informed the journey. One more. And then we're going to move forward. John, go back to John chapter 12. 
This is both kind of a prove who you are and a lust of the eyes moment. When Jesus is coming in, we talked about it at the beginning of the service today, coming in to Jerusalem. Now, Joseph, it was the Passover. This is the last week of Jesus' earthly life. It's the Passover, and Josephus, the historian, said that during the Passover in Jesus' day, Jerusalem swelled by as many as two million people for the Passover feast. Two million people have migrated, have become pilgrims. So, you know when you see the crowds and we do our Palm Sunday thing and Hosanna and Hosanna and you always kind of picture it sort of like 20, 30 people? No, 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 no. It was a crowd, okay? Now, if you look down, verse 17, now the crowd that was with them when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. So he had just, Bethany's only a, you know, a short, a mile away. And so when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, word spread. Two million people in town for the Passover and they're talking about it. Yesterday, my family was in town, fell out my mom and my brother and his girlfriend and my sister and her husband. And so we did the requisite, go down, go, go uptown, get the Yarsma, go to Vanderplug, Bangladesh. And so um, they wanted to uh, visit the peanut pub, so we went into the peanut pub. And my sister is a teetotaler, so, and my mom is too, so they didn't have, just had some water. And we were getting, we got, we got done, and we were walking out, and as we were walking down the street right out front, my sister slipped on the sidewalk and went flying and fell down. It's okay, she saved the Yarsma. And um, <laughs> so the Yarsma didn't get hurt and she was fine. She got up, started laughing, and I go, oh, great, Jody. And she's like, what? So I said, by tomorrow morning at church, everybody's gonna be going, oh, I heard Tom Vanderwell's sister came out of the pub and was so drunk, she fell down. <laughs> Welcome to small town. Word spreads, we know that. So word spread in Jerusalem. And so when Jesus comes in, it is a huge crowd that is saying, look at verse 12, the next day a great crowd, don't picture 20, 30, picture hundreds that had come for the festival and heard Jesus was on his way and they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. And once again now, Jesus has the opportunity. I can become king, man. I can become king. I can just march right in and take over, live in a palace, have it all. This crowd. But he doesn't because that's not his purpose. And he knows that. And he knows that the hearts of these people is fickle. And the people that cause him to trend right now in five days are going to be screaming, crucify him. But it was the sojourn that informed the journey and allowed him to see that. So now we have, let's go back to the chart if we could, please. So we have the same temptations, the same distractions, the same diversions. Now, the purpose of the sojourn then is to launch the ministry. The purpose of the journey is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die on a cross, to suffer for us, to be an atonement for our sins. So now as we come to Lent, it is a time 
It's a sojourn. It's 40 days where we are invited individually to turn from what is normal for us. To spend some time in introspection and spend some time in maybe some solitude. To be thinking about the things of God and the things of the Spirit. To turn and purposefully say, God, I want to I wanna spend some time really thinking about the things of the Spirit. You know what? I'm going I'm to put my phone away and I'm going to come to the prayer tower for an a couple of hours and just pray, whatever it is. Now, there are tons of things we can do. Let's go to the last, uh, next slide, please. Let me give you some ideas. Because this is really about your personal sojourn and your personal journey. And I want to invite you into this, wherever you're at, okay? One is to turn from what resists, diverts, distracts you from spiritual things, whatever that is. It could be different for every one of us. So what is it that distracts you? What is it that diverts you? Could be ESPN Sports Center. It could be all of the tasks and to-dos of the household. It could be work. It could be my hobbies. It could be my phone. What is it? Think about that. Will you turn? And it doesn't, I mean, again, so... Lent is a time of denial. And it's really, you know, so the, the thing growing up is always like, well, what are you going to give up for Lent? And I think I shared this last year. You know, for Lent, my dad used to always get on me for how much pop I drank. So he's like, well, you know, you should give up Coke. So I'm like, okay, I'll give up Coke. Um, but was that really denial? It wasn't really diverting me from anything. It was just Coke. So I drank Sprite instead. <laughs> you know, didn't mean anything. And my dad, I was always complaining about my dad how much television he watched. Came home every night, just turned on the TV and sat down and watched TV for three hours. So he decided to give, I said, he'll give up TV, but guess what? He's an accountant. It's tax season. So he just came home and worked three hours every night. And it was really productive. It wasn't a turning from what distracts to something spiritual. It was just denial for the sake of denial. I was reading one commentator that Wendy shared with me this week, uh, a lady who said, yeah, I, kind of do the fast, fasting thing, but it's really about losing weight more than it is about anything else. Allie talked about that on Wednesday night too. So what's the, what's the thing? But then it's not the thing that you're just going to give up. It's the thing that's diverting you spiritually in your time and your energy, okay? Second, turn and invest time in solitude, introspection, and denial. So it is the turn in the sojourn to say, you know what, I'm going to, I am, I'm going to, Thursdays, noon, Refresh, right here in the auditorium. From noon to one, you can come in. There's music playing, it's quiet. You come in, sit down, spend some time in prayer, read your Bible. Members of the prayer team will come and pray over you. It's awesome. And can I tell you, I come, I come every week that I can. And I'm just gonna tell you, I'm the only guy that's here the most times. It's like 20 women and me. So guys, <laughs> opportunity, because it's good to sit back and just reflect. And there are some weeks, you know, yeah, I just sit there because I need it. I need the isolation. I need the solitude. I need the quiet, okay? 
Uh, it could be time in the prayer tower. It could be, you know, spending some time alone, going for a walk. In the, if you like that nature and outdoors and that's where you meet God, you just spend some time going out to Cordova Park and walking through whatever it is. I'm just going to spend some time by myself. Number three, turn and look outward to serve and love others. Because it's not just about introspection. It's not just about the sojourn. It's also about the journey. And Jesus' journey was what? About love. It was about living out his ministry, healing, taking care of, giving of himself. So in Lent, we not only spend time in introspection, but we also spend time in acts of service, whatever that might look like. And again, I'm going to leave this to you, but will you think about turning in these 40 days to say, I'm going to do something for somebody else. I'm going to show some kindness. I'm going to give in some way. One of the members of our teaching team was talking about that. We were talking about acts of service and about generosity. And they said, you know, what they were talking about is it's really easy in generosity to give what's convenient. So yeah, hey, you need an outfit for that event? Oh yeah, you know what? I got this outfit in my spare closet because I got so much I have a spare closet and I haven't worn it for a long time and I don't really need it anymore. So here, take it, it's yours. But what's really hard is saying, you need another outfit for an event? Here's my best and my favorite. And the one that costs, it costs pretty penny. Take it, it's yours. Which one is generosity and self-denial? Lent is a time where we turn and think about how can I actively be Christ to others in ways that I haven't normally. Number three, I'm sorry, number four, spiritual nourishment. As time, as we spend time in isolation, it could be the word. And again, we spend time, every word. I spend time, maybe it's reading a devotional like I never had before. Reading one chapter of Bible day, I do it myself. It takes you three, four minutes in the morning. A chapter a day. Maybe you follow a devotional online, whatever it is. Spend some time listening to a podcast on your way to work, uh, of past messages that you may have missed. Find a way to take in. It might be spending time in the prayer tower and talking to God. It could be fellowship with other believers. Maybe you don't ever talk about spiritual things with people. Get together with somebody from here in our auditorium family and just say, hey, let's just talk about how's Lent going for you. Let's have a spiritual conversation about where I am with Christ. It could be worship. It could be sleep. <laughs> Wendy and I had the privilege of hearing Dallas Willard uh, speak uh, in this small environment many years ago and actually getting to meet him and talk to him for a few minutes. If you don't know Dallas Willard, he's an amazing teacher. He passed away a few years ago. And Dallas Willard was talking about spiritual disciplines. And he said, yeah, I had this lady one time who said, uh, came up and said, you know, Mr. Willard, I, I, I just feel so guilty and ashamed because I, I pray, I try and pray at night, but I, just, I always fall asleep. And he said, good. He's like, what? He's like, you need sleep. Sleep is a spiritual discipline. For those of us with insomnia, sleeping might be something we need to nourish our souls. It could be quiet. 
turning off the earbuds, taking them out, shutting everything down, and just being in silence. And then as you start getting nervous and wanting to turn, turn something on so I can hear it, just staying there in the silence, whatever it is. Find a way to nourish yourself. Here's the thing about Lent you may not know. We maybe live denial, hey, I'm going to give this up. Sunday is a feast day. Every Sunday is resurrection day. So every Sunday in Lent, you get to stop denying yourself and live it up. So isn't that cool? A lot of us didn't know that. We've been suffering for years <laughs> when we could have been feasting. Yes, it's a, it's a feast day, okay? It could just be about, you know, what do I need to do? Let me give you an example. Wendy and I um, have recognized, and I really recognize, we've been traveling a lot, I've been traveling a lot the last three months, and all of my routines are out of whack. All my spiritual routines are out of whack. I just, I haven't been able, I'm living out of a suitcase and it's just hard to stay in it. And so, in our mornings, typically, we spend time together drinking coffee and reading the paper and talking about world events and what's going on in life. And, and we've decided that, you know what? We need to focus in on Christ. So in the mornings, rather than spending time together over coffee and newspaper, we're going to spend time separate alone with Christ. For us, that's kind of what we've been called to this, this Lenten season. We're going to deny that time together to really focus on our each separately on our relationship with Christ. Whatever it is. But then one day a week, we get to have breakfast together, which is kind of awesome, and enjoy it. And then finally, number six, ask, seek, knock regarding, regarding God's purposes for you. God, what is my purpose? What, where do you want me to go? How do you want me to serve you? What purpose do you have for me? Ask, and he'll show you. And then I'm going to leave you with two, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. I'm going to leave you with two popcorn prayers. I call them popcorn prayers. Popcorn prayers is just the, the blurt prayer that you just throw out there. Uh, one is one that Kevin has shared with us, the Jesus prayer. If you've not memorized it, I encourage you to do so. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I would encourage you as you go walk through Lent to make that a popcorn prayer that you whisper, that you say every day. Keep repeating it. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. One of the things that I learned in theater is a, a way to really learn a line is you keep repeating it, but then you, you emphasize different words and it gives you a different meaning. Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. Because every word could bring you a different lesson. So that's a, that's a prayer of repentance. Have mercy on me. The other one is Psalm 143.8. Show me the way, Lord, that I should go. For to you I entrust my life. Show me the way, Lord. I entrust my life to you. And just see how God might answer you. 
Lord, in the quiet, in the worship, I pray that you would prompt each one of us, right where we're at, (laughs) in all of our diverse experiences with Lent, that you would meet each one of us right where we are, that your Holy Spirit would prompt each one of us just how we should go in our own personal sojourn, in our own personal journey with you in this season of Lent. And I pray, Lord, for the grace to turn to you in this season and experience Lent as we never have before. For it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Elders are going to be up here uh, for communion. Uh, Come up. Feel free as we worship and uh, close off the service. If there's the place of prayer right down the hallway here, just down to the right, about 50 feet on your right. If you need prayer, feel free to just slip out, go down there. And our prayer team would love to pray over you and pray with you for whatever you need. In the meantime, let's, uh, let's worship Christ together as we finish our time.